is drinking and driving, and of course, substance use, mm -hmm. obviously rampant, especially when people overdo it, which when you're just at that age and just starting with things, there is no, you have no idea of your threshold on things. So yeah. You only find out your bad threshold by going through it and experiencing it and hopefully nothing happens. Decision-making in life is critical, especially when you're a teen. Bailey Bindle from SAD, which stands for Students Against Destructive Decisions, joins a podcast to share how their organization supports teens by providing a supportive network all ran by other students. Part one of a five-part series, so let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender Darling, you were meant to survive Students Against Destructive Decisions. Mm -hmm. I think there's, whenever there's a nonprofit, that means either there's a problem or an issue or whatever you want to call it. And there's now people getting together to say, okay, guys, we're going to put together this solution. Mm -hmm. So really, where were the roots started? Yeah. So we were founded in 1981 after a series of drunk driving crashes in Wayland, Massachusetts. Mm. And the students themselves worked with their hockey coach and started a chapter. And from there, the rest is history. It was started really- with their hockey coach. Yeah, yep. Bob Anastas was the hockey coach at the time and he did a phenomenal job working with those students to make sure that that chapter was supported and that the students were lifted up and off the ground to be able to make a difference in their community because it wasn't just one crash, I believe it was two. And it was an issue in their community and they needed to do something about it. So they had the support of Mr. Anastas and they got together and made sure that they were not going to have another alcohol related crash Fatal. in their community again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's usually, it always ends up hitting home. Yeah. And that's when change actually happens is when things do hit home that people actually go, okay, we actually have to do something now. Exactly. But then it's tough to have those last throughout the years because I feel like a lot of the times the decision-making because I know of people who have crashed their cars and, and unfortunately have gotten killed all throughout the, um, the years. And I feel like it's almost like sadly temporary sometimes how people feel because mm -hmm. something happens, somebody gets killed, like a high schooler I know when I, was in, when I was younger got killed in a car crash and everybody drives 35 miles an hour yep. for a week. Two weeks, the closer you are to that person, a year, everyone in the high school was... Um, forced to take the I will not text while driving pledge, yep. all that stuff. And it, and it lasts for a little bit. And it's nice. Mm -hmm. But the change of over the course of years is really like what we're trying to do. And it's like, how do we get to that point, right? Exactly. And SAD's been around for over 40 years now. And so that's something that we've had to work through. How do we stay relevant? How do we continue working with students so that this lasts more than just a few weeks? And they take this into their adulthood and as they become parents, how did that how does that reflect on the way that they parent their children and make sure that their children have those conversations with them and they stay safe and they know that they can have a safe caring adult to come to as well. So it's kind of a full circle approach that we're looking at in this organization as well. 
Yeah, and what type of students are we are we talking? Are we talking high school? Are we talking college, beyond, or younger even? Yeah, so the majority of our presence is in high schools, a lot of middle school chapters, and we're working in the college space as well. And there are some unique opportunities where we have elementary school chapters, and those are typically chapters who are working with the high school chapters, and it's more of a mentor program. So they're teaching them how important it is to stay substance free or mm. wear their seatbelt in, you know, that simplistic format through a mentorship. From my own perspective, you definitely have your work cut out for yes. you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Just from myself going, you know, going through high school, college and that whole experience. And then anybody I talk to or hear about, too, because that stuff has always been going on, mm -hmm. you know, and I feel like, like, where's the end? Right. Or if it's or if it's not an end, how do we live with it? But also trying to cap that ceiling on. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I mean, as the generations change, we have to adapt to what their needs are as well to work with those prevention efforts and make sure that we're still relevant and we're still providing information that's going to be effective And those programs are exactly what they need or what they want. And that's why we're a peer to peer organization, because Everything we do is driven by the students themselves. And how's it been? Because you guys work with mainly I was, drinking and driving, substance use, and the surroundings. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of results have you guys been able to see with student engagement and also parenting? Because I got to think that parenting is maybe like the biggest key <laughs> to trying to help solve this. Because I know of, I would say, majority of kids and students probably want to hide yeah. all this from their parents and also from the parent standpoint almost like a don't ask don't tell policy i feel like they they take on with their kids especially with drinking anything social where they might have a feeling yeah. that they're gonna go do something but like if they put their foot in they feel like they really can't stop it mm -hmm. and then if they don't they're leaving themselves susceptible to possibly something happening so like how have you, I feel like that might, is like the, one of the hardest challenges for you guys is that parenting aspect, because how do you help connect that student with their parent to achieve those more of a channel of communication? Yeah. So we have a phenomenal resource. It's one of my favorites that we have, and it's one of our longest standing. It's called the contract for life. And we really push those students to take that contract home and have these conversations with their families so that if they do get in a predicament, they understand what their outcomes will be, what the consequences might be from their parents' perspective, but also that secures them a safe ride home that allows them in out. Their parents will agree to come pick them up anytime, any place if they feel unsafe for any reason. So that contract for life is hugely important to the SAD chapters because it, it gives them a conversation tool to take home and have these conversations that are hard to have with parents, especially when teens are in a very exploratory stage. They kind of have free will. They want to do what they want and where they want to do it, and they don't always understand their parents' perspective. So those conversation starters are incredibly important for them, and that resource really kind of guides that. How is that perspective right now from your standpoint, working with students and with parents? How is that line of communication you would think on the average, the average high schooler or college student? Do you find that they even have some sort of communication channel set up intentionally like that? Because a lot of times you'll hear the my door is always open. Mm -hmm. You know, we're always here for you in a lot of the ways like that. But do you do you think that there is that open line of communication before you guys even get there? 
Yeah. If you would have asked me 10 years ago when I was a student in high school, I would have said no. But a lot has changed since then, and there's a lot more dangerous substances. There's more more on the internet that we should be easier to hide yeah, things too. Af af afraid of. And I think students, teens, they recognize that. And I think they're a little scared too. And when we don't really know what can actually happen with the internet or with these substances, what do you do? You know? So I think that they feel more comfortable in this day and age than they did 10 years ago. They do. Okay. Actually approaching their parents and having conversations about some of these things because they they can see if something happens in their school or community that is a tragedy because of something that they didn't know or understand, they're going to be more willing to have those conversations. And unfortunately, a lot of these um, nonprofits or these missions come from tragedy. But at the same time, there's a lot of great coming out of that with some of those prevention efforts and having these conversations. And it's also persuading students to become more comfortable with talking about this. And that's where the beauty of SAD chapters comes in because the students themselves recognize these issues. They identify the problems in their community and then they take action. So when they feel empowered to take action in their school and community, they're gonna feel more empowered to have those conversations at home with their parents or their guardians and actually make a difference in their own lives and the lives of their peers too. So that contract is a very good idea, it, by the way. It is incredible. It, it sparks a conversation without it actually being like the student having something hidden behind. Like, well, yeah. what if something happens when meanwhile something did happen and they're yeah. trying to find out the consequences beforehand? Um, that is a great idea because at least you're, you're like putting a plan into place a little mm -hmm. bit. Does that ever spark some conversations of like just it opens up the floodgates a little bit to where all of a sudden you're, you're talking about drinking, even if it's underage, you're talking about sex, which is definitely a huge issue of mm -hmm. having that line of communication with, with parents, especially son to parent or daughter to parent. Yeah. Huge topic that um, is a little bit harder to talk about than even like drinking and driving mm -hmm. or substance use um, because that, but like you said, you have to have a plan. Yeah. So what kind of conversations does, does that typically turn into with a student bringing that to their parent and saying, hey, like this is the contract. We're just kind of feeling our feeling our way out. Yeah. So it it starts with some of those key talking points that we have. Like if I were to get stuck in a situation where I feel unsafe and I need help, what is it that we can do for each other? Is there going to be a consequence? What does this look like for both of us on our end? Because obviously everyone wants to feel safe and make sure that that student gets home at the end of the day safely, no matter the consequence. But in the same breath, it leaves it open for interpretation. So that contract provides some jumping off points that will then, like you said, it can open up the floodgates. So if there's yeah. something else that SAD doesn't typically cover that the parents wanna talk about and have written into that contract, it's up to them. So it's kind of, we give, we give them the jumping off point and then from there, they can tailor it and have whatever conversations that they feel they need to have because the way the contract is set up, it just allows them to start the conversation and they will actually sign it, whether they do the virtual um, e-sign or if they do an actual paper contract, both the parents and the students will sign it. So some sort of agreement is locked in. Yeah no matter what what the topic or what issue area they're wanting to have that contract on. How receptive do you th 
find parents are being right now with things? Are you, do you find them taking more of an authoritarian approach with things or more of a permissive side of things? Because I got to think out of the two, I've found parents generally have been more authoritarian. Mm-hmm. But as we go further, you know, with the years, it, they're almost forced yeah. to be more permissive because you, there's just things you cannot hide mm-hmm. anymore that are right in front of your face. It's almost like an intentional ignorance being the don't ask, don't tell policy of, of doing that. But then obviously there's a line of, well, how much freedom am I giving? Am I, am I going to condone my underage son or daughter drinking? Yeah. You know, if I don't say anything, then they're going to do it. And if I say something, then they're going to do it anyway, but at someone else's house and they're going to lie to me. So it puts parents in a, Mm-hmm. in a really hard position because they have to take these very firm stances while also at the same time not probably ever having to do this because I feel like they almost have to be like have that social worker mindset mm-hmm. on to be able to just parent their child that like their parents probably never had to go through like a contract with the yeah, kids exactly. on a plan on all this I mean I don't see too many baby boomers having to tell that to their their parents, yeah. you know, or go through that, but they haven't had to deal with the same issues, especially with social media, yeah. especially with photos and things being shared online that once you share it, it's not coming down. It's only getting shared even more, mm-hmm. which is also a whole nother issue, just as, as horrible as drinking and driving and substance use. And cause they can have just as hard long-term effects and lead to things like suicide and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So where, where do you find, parents are kind of leaning more towards definitely somewhere in the middle it's gonna depend on the parenting style and geographically i think we're a little different across the country Um, typically in the south you'll see more of the authoritative parenting style versus in the midwest i see a lot more of the permissive and conversation facilitating but somewhere in the middle across the board because i think the generation of parents with teens right now has lived it, done it, seen it, um, and they want the best for their kids. And I think there's a certain level of understanding with that stage that the teens are in at that point in their lives. And so they're more open to the conversations. And I think everyone's scared of the world today. Like there's just so much out there that we don't know and we don't know the consequences of it. Um, so just trying to figure out somewhere to meet in the middle and that's where that contract, that contract comes in and kind of helps, even if you are a very authoritative parent to, you know, meet in the middle and figure out a plan, there might still be consequences if something happens, if you're more authoritative, but at least there's a plan in place so that everyone's home and safe at the end of the day. Or it's like, it's, it's cause I'm your father. I'm your world. I don't have to explain myself. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but then you got the people, um, the permissive ones that are like, uh, okay, yeah, you said you're going to be home by when? Mm-hmm. Uh, who are you going? Oh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's tough, man. Being a parent today is probably the hardest job you can you can possibly 100%. Have. Yeah. And um, SAD is student-led. Mm-hmm. Do you have any parents sort of be... Uh, contributors at all? (laughs) There are a lot of parents who are very interested in learning what not only the organization is all about and the resources we have to offer, but it's also a way for them to stay in touch and stay current Mm -hmm. with what is going on with teens today. And it kind of helps give them that well-rounded perspective, even if their teen does bring something up 
um, it gives them an opportunity to have an understanding, maybe formulate a perspective before the conversation or formulate some thoughts. So we do see a lot of parents who want to get involved or there are a lot of parents who work with teens in a homeschool um, arena and they are looking to bring SAD into their homeschool curriculum, which is incredible because they should get the opportunity to have these resources and this programming available to them as well. Did you, growing up, did you ever have any uh, like communication channels with your parents? You say like direct communication channels and then some that was like, okay, this doesn't really exist, but I'm going to be in a situation where I have to mm -hmm. create a line of communication. Or did you feel like, you know, you were kind of open? Yeah. Um, my parents were awesome. They were always willing to help me no matter what I did, where I was, what was happening. And so I was very lucky. And I think that's yeah. what led me into this position that I'm in today. Because when I was a student, I actually started a SAD chapter at my high school. And I was involved with um, a similar organization in Nebraska at the state level. And so I really found my passion in this arena. And they welcomed that and they accepted that. And so we, we naturally had these conversations. Like I learned about this new drug this is how it could impact our community. Like we were constantly having those conversations and what that would look like for me if I were ever put in a situation where mm. I needed them. And so that just happened naturally for me. That doesn't happen for <laughs> a <lot> everyone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I was able to take that and run with it. And I, I mean, I'm still around with SAD today. So that yeah. that comes back to my parents and their parenting style because I felt comfortable having conversations and learning and having someone who I knew I could rely on. Do you to. think it, do you think the underlying issue with communication between parents and students is parenting style? Do you think that that's like a route where a student would be like, ah, maybe I don't, maybe I see how it plays out first. Mm -hmm. And then if there's not a severe consequence, maybe I let it roll underneath the rug for now, even if it's going to come up down the road. Do you think that's a, a safe underlying issue why there might not be a, a channel of communication? Because I got to think, sad existing in and of itself, mm -hmm. I'm thinking that means that there's a lack of communication across the board, at least, yeah. that we're trying to then structure architecturally, yeah. basically, to, to build up. I think that is 100% Correct. And I think also that relationship building piece comes in where if you have a better relationship with your parents, you're going to feel more comfortable talking about anything and everything with them. Whereas if you don't, these conversations aren't going to happen. You might hide more things or try to beat around the bush. And, you know, if you don't have those conversations, it's a lot harder to be a teen. And you need that support system all the way through high school and beyond. Yeah, being a teen something happens. I mean, something like a drinking and driving accident can't, mm -hmm. you can't hide that. Yeah. You know, you can hide the majority of things, but I got to think, how do you approach your parent? You know, you messed up mm -hmm. or you were involved with something that was messed up. What's the first thing that you've seen students be able to like grow and actually do to create a uh, line of communication with their parents? that they practice or maybe learn that works to where they can 
move forward and tackle together that situation rather than just tackling it, trying to tackle it on their own and their parents hearing about it through the grapevine, <laughs> which is usually how they end up hearing about it. They get the phone call from somebody or they hear about it and then, you know, why didn't I hear it from you? Yeah. I think students today, it's very, it's very difficult to be a teen, right? It's, there's so much going on. There's so much stress and the pressure is constantly on them. I think every student's a little bit different about how they approach these things, but we want to, we want to make sure that they're able to approach them before something happens. We don't want it to get to a point where there's a tragedy where we have to take action and have the conversations. We want to have the conversations before. And I think when we give students the opportunity when they join SAD, they they feel empowered. It's peer-to-peer empowerment. They are literally working with their fellow peers to make a difference. And when they have that empowerment, they're already set up for success to take that and run. So if they can inspire others in their schools and communities to have the conversations with their parents or go to a community event and talk about why vaping is an epidemic and why what we're seeing in the schools today, when the students are the ones facilitating those conversations, that's going to leak into every corner yeah. of the school and the community. And then the parents might even be the person to come up to them and ask, like, hey, I heard you did this or your chapter is doing this event. Tell me more about that. And then that's also another way to have those conversations begin. And have you seen people use SAD as like their way of communication? Have, have they approached you guys with any problems that they haven't like necessarily they're just kind of like testing the wars with you guys to see like what's the response from other people because this happened to me and I'm going through this and I really am unsure how to tell someone. Yeah. So we we see something new, I think. Every, I can imagine. Every other day it feels like there's a new issue or we hear about a different sort of tragedy or there's something going on in a school that we've never seen or heard of before. And so when we have those requests or those questions come to us, we look at that, we see what we've done in the past, and then a lot of the times we'll outsource to partners. So if there's a new mental health challenge and they come to us and they ask for a specific resource yeah. and we don't have it, we constantly have partners on deck that we can refer out to for those resources or who can get them connected to someone who can get them help. I gotta think teen-wise, when I was a teen, what was going on. I'm like, drinking and driving was definitely a big thing. Mm -hmm. Social, this was like just when Snapchat like became a platform. Yeah. So it wasn't like you had to deal with the recording mm -hmm. a lot. People would record other people, but it wasn't like a go-to. Yeah. You know, it was people really watch and then maybe someone would record on their phone as a video and then send to other people in a text message. But it wasn't that post on your story, yeah. post on your Facebook type of error right before it, and I got to think that that is an epidemic in, mm -hmm. in and of itself, is drinking and driving, and of course, substance use, mm -hmm. obviously rampant, especially when people overdo it, which when you're just at that age and just starting with things, there is no, you have no idea of your threshold on things. So yeah. You only find out your bad threshold by going through it and experiencing it, and hopefully nothing happens. Yeah. What are, What are some other kind of like, say like epidemics that teens and students you see are going through. I hear a lot about mental health and, and that whole element, which I think is just part of a whole of everything altogether. I don't see everything as separately. I, I feel like 
people having mental health issues, then what do they do? They have an emotional need that they yeah. need to fill. So mm -hmm. then there's substances for that. So then that you start engaging in it. So I feel like it, it all goes hand in hand. What are you seeing as really being humongous factors that you guys are trying to tackle today? I know it's drinking and driving, which mm -hmm. I feel like is going to always be around, unfortunately, no matter what it is. Yep. So there, in traffic safety, there is four Ds. Drunk, drugged, drowsy, and distracted. And those are our- Distracted, that's distracted. a great one. Yep, so those are our four key areas that we really look at in terms of impairment behind the wheel. Yeah. And we see them every day. I mean, the, the data in every state looks a little bit different, but you're gonna have high rates in all four of those. So we really see a lot on those. So we're ramping up all of our programming. Texas Live More is our premier distracted driving awareness mm -hmm. partner. Um, so we work with them to make sure that we have the resources available for chapters as well. Drowsy driving, we've had many, many conversations in recent years about the impact of drowsy driving and how it, it'll affect your performance behind the wheel. Yeah. And so having, having those conversations and keeping some of those more um, classic, like drunk driving tragedies and those issue areas relevant because it is still an issue today, but also tapping into what that means when in terms of drugged driving. Cannabis impaired um, driving is a huge issue these days. And what is it that students need to know when it comes to that form of impairment? How does it relate? There's a lot of simulators out there. There's a lot of partners and resources that we tap into. We created um, a cannabis impaired driving curriculum with AAA Northeast, and it's called Shifting Gears. Incredible programming on a very relevant topic, and that training has swept the nation like wildfire because mm -hmm. everyone wants it, everyone's curious, and everyone wants to know the impact. So kind of looking at what those newer... Um, Technologies are affecting yeah, things. Yeah, newer issue areas, what technology looks like, and how we can create productive resources to help educate students before something happens that's the thing and i feel like when things hit home that's when real change people are like yeah. nope all right i've got to change something that's why i love the simulators mm -hmm. especially because it might be able to put you there like i remember growing up they, they brought in like goggles when you were to show when you would be drunk what your vision would see mm -hmm. which was like it was a good start but they didn't factor in the feeling of not being able to yeah. think mm -hmm. You know, like that might be your vision, sure, but like I have the goggles on and I'm sober. So it's like, exactly. yeah, like I kind of, you have your senses, but like your judgment. Exactly. Is and a the lot of times thing. we still use the goggles. We have all forms of impairment goggles. So even the drugged um, mm. goggles as well today, but we still use those, but we make it more interactive. So we'll set up a course or we have pedal carts where the students take that it's more than just walking a line with the goggles anymore we make it so that it's interactive and they actually have to be put to a task to perform that because honestly that's between that or start getting a, nervous if i hit something exactly yeah. that or a virtual simulator are the two most realistic ways to get a feel for how that's yeah. going to affect your body yeah also losing like a loved one to something like mm -hmm. that too because a lot of the practices that I've seen like implemented at high schools throughout the years was really like the scare tactic to try to scare you mm -hmm. rather than let's 
have that person feel scared themselves yeah. by going through something because that first person stuff really does change it because that's really like the only way I feel like yeah. to really cause that change because other than that you might do a, a week change or something like that but then it just is like everyone else's diet change you know it's yeah. just <laughs> yeah exactly it goes out the window we have transitioned away from scare tactics and we're working on more immersive experiences that actually have something for them to take away and learn from when we're implementing programming like this so I saw one that was a live simulator where they had like ambulances show up, fire trucks show up, horrendous crash, but like the crash had already happened for like a DUI mm -hmm. and just seeing, I mean, even with like police body cams, like stuff like that, that could really resonate when they come yeah. and see how that crash is and, and people really being like, especially, I mean, cars today are built really well yeah. to avoid those types of end results, but at the same time. You've got, you know, you're going 85 down a highway or on a motorcycle going on like a buck 20. I mean, yeah. there's no, because I think like drinking and driving, for example, even when someone's drunk, I deeply still think and believe mm -hmm. they know I'm not supposed to be getting in this car. Mm -hmm. I'm not supposed to be driving, but they do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking from a knowledge base. We all know we're like, we're past that almost, you know, where it's like, all right, we're going to tell kids they should know you can't drink and drive. I mean, beating a dead horse yeah. almost, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like really, and it's still going on, obviously. So everyone knows, but we're still doing it. And even adults, I mean, most of the DUIs in this country probably take place for people over 30 too. So, I mean, DUIs yeah. is just absolutely rampant. So we know it happens. And there's people that have gotten six, seven, eight DUIs, like, that moment, right? I'm getting into the car. I'm drunk. I know it's wrong. At that point, what could we do? Or what do you see you guys already doing in trainings and speaking with students to solve that second of judgment where as soon as that decision's made, it's over at that point, And it's just basically the dice are being rolled on the outcome of this, mm -hmm. but that judgment on them, what could we do and what what do you see you guys doing to, to reverse that and go, no, I shouldn't be there or that network of people having to mm -hmm. where no, 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 you're not getting in that car. Yeah. We have to provide them with the opportunity to feel empowered from the, the very beginning before they even have to think about making a decision at that point. Because as soon as they feel empowered, that's when they're going to think twice and they're going to have that knowledge base already set to make that next decision. So think of it this way. Students today, it's a competitive arena for them to go to college, get scholarships, take on whatever next steps in their lives they're looking at. They don't want to mess it up for themselves. There's, they hold so much value. Yeah, it's that's crazy. True. That's true. That leaks right over into the, some of those mental health challenges, how much students care about their future today. And what we're seeing is when they feel empowered to have these conversations ahead of time and take the initiative to learn like, oh, I shouldn't do that or I'm not going to get this scholarship or this will blow my chances to get into college. They know that and they're already holding so much value before they even get into high school for their future. And so making sure that we bring that back home and providing them with opportunities to feel empowered, take on service projects, feel valued so that when they go out and they have to make a game time decision, 
in those situations that they know deep in their core that they have to make the right decision for themselves. Like the way you put you, you put that game time decision because it is it, it really is a game time is. game yeah. time decision where like you just have to make a call right then and there and yeah. it ha it has to be a, the good one yeah like there's no there's no like plan B on that you have to mm -hmm. make the good choice because with drinking and driving obviously with sex with drinking I mean those things you're done yeah like and your life no one wants to feel judged and we're at a point now where if something were to happen if hyper judgment it, yeah, is if so over is shadowing people if someone gets a dui and comes back to school on monday morning they're gonna feel shameful and they're going to feel judged and we don't want them to feel that way we want them to feel welcomed this is an all-inclusive organization when they're part of sad we'll welcome them back in and we just don't want them to feel judgment in any way but you know that they're also that's also going to play into that game time decision of oh i don't i don't want to look like a fool i don't want to go back to school and explain myself or you know feel judged walking down the hallways so while sad is that support network for if something does happen we're here for you we're mm -hmm. inclusive and we're going to help get you through it and we're going to provide you with the resources to become better but at the same time the students know exactly what's going to happen and how they're going to feel when they get back to school because not everyone's kind and welcoming and unfortunately there's a lot of judgment amongst teens in this day and age even more so than when i was in school yeah honestly really because i mean you've got you've got kids like taking their lives today just because of judgment not because of what happened yeah but because of judgment like we were talking about before like pictures getting out like there's been a lot of students who have taken their own lives because of those things mm -hmm. and it's not because of the pictures yeah but it's because of the shame yeah it's because of the humiliation and also i think the feeling of never being able to have control over that yeah that was part of your life ever exactly and they end up taking their life and and not t not even having a conversation with their parents which is Really the big, the most concerning thing, mm -hmm. I think, which is why I love to have you guys on because yeah. without even having a conversation, they take their own life and then their parents are cleaning up yeah. the pieces and then realizing that they killed themselves because of something that they had no idea about. Yeah. And they're now reeling in all of their students' remorse mm -hmm. of themselves and loneliness mm -hmm. and that's got to be so hard to deal with as a parent at that point than it would have ever been dealing with the issue head-on because it's exactly because you got to think if, if a student takes some of those steps or even a lot of times it doesn't reach suicide mm -hmm. but it does reach some sort of negative behavior that they develop and habits where it's substance use or feeling terrible about themselves for years on yeah and then that itself is almost ruining their life just as much as suicide yeah would have exactly so thank you for doing this <laughs> and, and doing this amazing work yeah of course i love what i do and i'm so thankful to see the impact one of my favorite parts of working with sad is we have these moments i call them mission moments and i'm sitting on my hands waiting for them to happen just on the sidelines all the time because every once in a while you'll run into someone and they're like oh 
Sad literally saved my life and this is how. Oh, really? Because working in this space, you don't, and we've been around for 40 some years yeah. now. So think about all the lives in the last 40 years that have been touched by this organization, whether it's through tragedy, empowerment, leadership, like there are so many people who have come through this organization or grown up through this organization that have stories to tell. And like I said, unfortunately, a lot of people come to organizations like SAD out of some sort of tragedy that happened, whether it was to themselves, to their family, their community, in something in their school, and they want to make a difference. So it's really awesome to see those mission moments really come to life. And they don't happen every day. They're like a little sparkle where you're like, this is why I do what I do. And this is what keeps me going because prevention work is, it's tough. Working with teens can be tough and we want to make sure that we- I would say is tough. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah. it is tough. It is very tough. And we want to make sure that we are as relevant and effective and efficient in helping them not only save the lives of themselves, but their peers as well in everything that they do. And so we love to see those mission moments. We've had so many cool stories in just interactions of, you know, walking through the airport and we're wearing a sad backpack and someone just tells us how, you know, they were thinking about completing suicide and they didn't because of something that happened with their sad chapter that made them think twice, you know? So it's pretty cool um, to see some of those moments come to life because every day when you're sitting behind your desk or, you know, in a million meetings throughout the week, it can be daunting to sit back and, you know, look at the tasks at hand and really feel that effectiveness, but those mission moments bring it to life. It does. And it's something you can't put on a stat sheet. Exactly. You know, that's the coolest thing ever because you know you have saved some things from happening mm -hmm. that never happened. Yeah. And so it's almost kind of like thankless yeah. to a degree because you're not actually seeing the, um, I don't want to say you're not seeing the results because it makes it sound bad, mm -hmm. but you're not seeing like the negative results that something could have happened cause, could, to where word salad there. Um, <laughs> yeah, because then you're not seeing the results that would have happened that would have been negative behavior. And mm -hmm. then you have people out there that are seeing it, feeling better, and you're bringing more of a healthy lifestyle yeah. to teens, which is so beyond needed <laughs> yeah. in the TikTok era. Exactly. So beyond needed because the amount of negative behaviors that are expressed through social media that just go whoosh mm -hmm. through the airwaves and have the ability to affect millions of people literally overnight. Yeah. That is super awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so thanks for coming on, Bailey. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. It's been such a pleasure. Absolutely. And <laughs> we will link up again down the road and see all the amazing stuff you guys have done, how much you have grown, how many more chapters you have gone. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited for that. Yeah, we're excited too. We're in a very transitional phase in the organization right now. We're really looking toward the future and having these conversations with the students to see what it is they want, what it is they need, what are the issue areas that they feel are the most important and running with their ideas. Yeah. So, excited to see what the future holds for the organization too. Awesome. You're in growth mode. Yeah, we're in That's growth awesome. mode. That's awesome. Yeah. Always in growth mode, it seems. <laughs> Thank you, Bailey. Yeah. Thanks. Every star.